They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Welcome, everybody. Today, I have a special guest, Corey Vanderlan. Uh, Corey is a vlogger, but before I get into introducing him, let me just uh, talk about a an asset that we've created for advertisers. We call it Affiliate Marketing Strategies to Survive and Thrive in the Current Climate. It's a 20-step guide on how to set your affiliate program up for success in these turbulent times. So I'm recording this uh, intro on uh, June 29th, and we are you know, in the middle of, uh, hopefully in the middle or towards the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, in a, a day when things are spiking kind of around the country and things are uncertain. Uh, so we put this guide together for you to give you uh, 20 strategies and tactics to set your affiliate program up for success uh, in times like this and thrive in times like this and going forward. So you can go to jebcommerce.com strategies uh, to download that guide. Uh, and there's a video on there. So the guide is actually a PDF, uh, and it's also a series of 20 videos and emails that you get access to to walk you through. Now, if you find that you need more help than this, you can email us at gethelp at jebcommerce.com, and we'd be more than happy uh, to help. So back to our guest today. So one of the things we wanted to do was to get into travel. Uh, probably the the largest uh, industry impacted by uh, the coronavirus uh, is is the travel space, uh, and so we wanted to interview uh, a bunch of different uh, people in the space at the advertiser side and the affiliate side. Today is our first interview in that series, and it's with Corey Vanderland. Now, Corey has done what we all have probably dreamed about. He has sold everything, quit his job. And his plan was to travel for 400 days straight. Uh, he got it. He made it to day uh, 304 when his Kentucky trip was canceled. Uh, he went. He flew out uh, that day uh, and made it home before any uh, sort of border closures. And in that time, he visited, I think, 48 countries and some amazing places. Uh, and uh, just a disclaimer: uh, Corey is an affiliate of one of our clients uh, in the travel space, Kentucky. So we talk a lot about uh, Kentucky. But today was a really great podcast. We talk about how he decided to uh, uh, to become a vlogger, how he decided to travel the world uh, for 400 days, uh, and what was involved in that process. I know I've wanted to do that forever, and I have not had the courage to do so. But we talk about you know that decision process and were there haters and. Uh, all that stuff involved in in making that trip and different things he learned about himself uh, in that time frame, favorite trips, things like that. But we also talked about how he's pivoting now. And that's one of the things that we're seeing, not only uh, this company, JEB Commerce, uh, but other companies around the globe are pivoting, especially in the travel space, uh, in how can they serve their clients now? 
So he gave uh, some information and some things uh, uh, to look at going forward. Uh, but then we also talk about some really good stuff of how he looks for brands. So if you're an advertiser and your holy grail of affiliates are niche content producers, this is really a good podcast for you. So we dive into how he looks uh, for uh, these brands, how he finds them, how he reaches out and contacts them. Uh, and, uh, and all that. And then he gives his kind of idea of what he's going to be doing, uh, for, uh, the, the years ahead and, and what to focus on now. So he's got some good advice for, uh, travel advertisers. And so I hope this is, um, valuable. Uh, and we'll be doing a series, a couple different affiliates and a couple advertisers in the travel space, and maybe even uh, a couple different people as well to get, to just get a handle on, um, what other people are looking for in the travel industry right now. Uh, how are they pivoting? How are they being successful and, and, uh, what are their plans going forward? So we can all kind of learn together and, and get through this together. So let's just dive right into my interview with Corey Vanderlei. Corey, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I am super excited to talk with you. Uh, I love uh, to travel, have not done nearly enough of it. Uh, and especially in the time we are, uh, you know, are in your videos uh, have been a great uh, kind of escape. Uh, and also in some ways really made me <laughs> look forward to when everything opens again. But thank you for uh, for coming on today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. You know, I, I was introduced to you from one of our affiliate managers here at JEB Commerce uh, when I asked, I really want to talk to some awesome travel affiliates and get their perspective on, on you know, what's going on right now, but uh, also just be introduced to them. And so Dorothy, uh, Dorothy Dalton introduced me uh, and you together. But why don't you give us sort of uh, a rundown who you are um, and how, how did you become an affiliate? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a travel vlogger and I started around a year ago. So it was actually last April that I actually resigned from my job and decided that I was going to give everything up and become a travel vlogger. So I pretty much just sold everything I had and I went on what I called the Kentucky Odyssey which was a trip around the, the planet, really, uh, doing Kentucky trips back to back to back to back for what the original plan was for 400 days. And uh, unfortunately, due to COVID, I had to cut that short. So I made it to day 304. But that was 304 days of pretty much being uh, living the life of dreams, really, just traveling from one country to the next to the next. I think I saw 48 countries in that time. And during those travels, I decided that I wanted to to share them with the world. So I actually released weekly YouTube videos of my adventures, kind of in a, an episodic format where you would see the journey that I was going on. And uh, I had partnered actually with Kentucky through um, the affiliate program and was actually able to uh, promote trips, the trips that I was doing, every single thing that I did in every video that I did was a trip that you could purchase through Kentucky. And people that watch my videos then had the option of clicking on that link, seeing if the trip looked good for them or, or even exploring other trips and then uh, purchasing that same kind of package for themselves. So it was a, a dream and one that uh, is kind of, a, I guess, slowed down a lot since everything happened in the mm -hmm. last few months. But um, I had certainly had momentum going forward. And, and the idea was to actually kind of take that travel brand and after I'd finished my Kentucky Odyssey, explore other ways of traveling and try to share that with the world. Corey, so you 
you did the, you know, living the dream. Uh, everyone, and especially if you love to travel, uh, wants to quit their job, sell everything and travel around the world. And, and you did that. So I, even when I think about that, the responsibilities that I have to kind of get rid of and selling everything, there's an attachment to that, that uh, brings me a little bit of anxiety. Walk me through the process and, and that whole journey of when did you first have the idea and then all the way up to selling things, giving notice and, and, uh, you know, departing on your first trip. What was all that like? Absolutely. Yeah, it was it was definitely not a decision that I made lightly. But it's also a decision that I hadn't really been thinking about for a super long period of time initially. What actually set it off is that I had been uh, in the same job for over 13 years in Calgary, Alberta, here in Canada. And I had just finished my MBA. And through that program, I received a job offer to move out to Vancouver to do something completely different. So going from IT to this new job, which was a pricing manager, I decided that it was a, a new challenge and, and something that I was looking forward to doing. So I decided to leave everything. I sold my house in Calgary and I moved to Vancouver. And within the first few months of being there, I realized that I might have made a mistake. And there was a part of me that thought, well, I can't just quit this job and go back to Calgary. What is a way that I can turn this potential negative into a positive? And so I started thinking, you know, if, if I could do anything in the world right now, what would it be? And this idea of travel was was just constantly on my mind. So I decided that I'd give it a year. I would stay at the job, see if things, you know, kind of leveled out. And in the meantime, I would start planning this trip around the world. So I really had one year of thinking about it. And in the end, after a year, I actually started liking the job quite a bit and was quite good at the job. And there was this great reluctance to decide to leave. But I also know that I had been thinking about traveling every single day since I had started thinking about it. And so there was a part of me that realized I would regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't take the opportunity to do it. And the other part of it is that I am 35 or I'm 36 now, but I was I was turning 35 at the time. And the trips that I was looking at doing with Kentucky, their demographic is 18 to 35. So I had a bit of a bit of a fire lit under me that forced me to do it when I did. So I pulled the plug, resigned, sold whatever I had left over, all my other belongings, and then loaded up a vehicle, came back to Calgary, said goodbye to my friends and family, and then boarded a plane to Europe to start my adventure. Wow. And was there anything you sold that, that you struggled to get rid of? Everything. Uh, it's very <laughs> difficult to get rid of furniture. And so I had quite a lot of furniture in my condo in Vancouver. But luckily, I had a, a coworker at the office whose son was just moving out and needed everything brand new. Well, not everything brand new, but needed everything new. And so I actually was able to offload all of my furniture. I didn't get I didn't get paid for any of it, but I was just happy to get rid of it because to piecemeal that kind of stuff in the time frame I had, because even though I had been thinking about uh, thinking about quitting for a year, I actually, uh, I had a five week period after I gave my notice and that's when it became real. So I had really five weeks to dispose of everything I owned before I could pack it into a, a backpack, get my car and then go back home. So when you say you sold everything and a backpack, you really mean you sold everything that didn't fit in a backpack? That's a hundred percent true. So that, wow. that part of the, that year, my kind of mantra was if I can't take it traveling with me, 
I'm not buying it. So it was a great way to save money because it meant that anything that I was looking at purchasing, I had to evaluate, would this fit in my backpack? And would I want to take this around the, uh, the world for a year or more? And if the answer was no, it wasn't coming with me. I wasn't buying it and I was selling it. So it, it was a very much a minimalist lifestyle. And I traveled the entire year with a, with a carry-on bag. Wow. And, and what was like the, the biggest necessity that you did put into the backpack? It was for me, it was my camera and my laptop. So those two were the the bulkiest items and probably my most prized possessions. But to turn this adventure into a business, I needed to have those with me at all times. I also had multiple hard drives to back up all my footage. And and those are the two things that I knew that if anything happened to them, I would be devastated. So uh, those were the absolute necessities that became a bit of a burden because you have to carry them everywhere. You have to lock them up everywhere you go. Not everywhere I went had safes or a safety deposit box. So you have to be creative in how you hit it. Um, but uh, luckily, I managed to um, not have anything too crazy happen with any of my equipment. And, and did you have any haters? Does anyone, when you told them your idea, thought you were crazy? Uh, everyone was very supportive. There was a an article actually that was published in the Calgary Herald, which is a uh, the local newspaper here in Calgary, and the online comments for that were were quite funny. Um, a lot of them were thinking, "Oh, a thirty five year old living in his parents' basement, um, you know, get a real oh, yeah. job." And 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 that, I think that was when I I kind of thought, "Oh, that's interesting." I mean, it's it didn't bother me too much. I thought it was actually quite funny that people had that impression. I thought you you do realize I'm traveling, right? I'm not. I didn't sell all my stuff just to go live with my parents. I, I sold all my stuff to travel the world. Uh, so there, there was a little bit of that. But no, every everyone seemed very supportive. And I think the, the number one thing that I heard from pretty much everybody was that they wish they could have taken that risk when they were younger or they wish yeah. they could have done it now. And so it, it made me feel like I had made the right decision hearing so many people that had 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 a life of regrets. Yeah. And what, what do you think was different about you? Like what... So many people say they want to do that. I have uh, two uh, two children that are out of the house, and we've often told them, "Hey, you know, you should take like a year and go do something that you can only do now." Uh, and uh, neither have taken us up on helping them do that. What do you think? What, what's different that that you actually did that? It might actually be because I didn't do that. So I think for me, I actually started working when I was 18. And uh, I mean, I worked previous to that, but I really started working uh, in the profession I have now when I was 18. So I started doing IT very early on. And I was one of those workaholics where during the school year, I went to school in the afternoons and I went to work in the morning. And then in the summer, I was excited because it meant that I could work full time. And I didn't really travel a lot. So there was these years where I just spent so much time at work that when I finally went on a trip and I thought, what have I been missing this whole time? Like, this is this is amazing. I love traveling. This is what I should have been doing the whole time that I think I reached a point much later in my life than most people that uh, I decided, no, I, I want to travel. And I really regretted not doing it when I was younger. So because I had spent so many years working, I was a able to financially afford to be able to travel the way that I did. But B, I had that motivation because I felt like I was um, catching up on lost time, really. Yeah, I think it was uh, Tim Ferriss in his book or his podcast talks about mini retirements, you know, and not not waiting uh, till you're 50 or 60 to to go do this, but do it now. Uh, It sounds like you you had a heck of a trip. Now, when you uh, when you decided to do this, was it 
from the beginning, were you looking at monetizing it and creating videos? Was it uh, first about travel and, you know, how did it, how did the business aspect uh, kind of come into play uh, in, in your, your odyssey? Yeah, I mean, I guess part of that is my MBA brain was also always thinking, how can I turn this into a business? Because Mm -hmm. I did think to myself, am I insane leaving my job to travel? I need to make money somehow, right? And so even though I had a nest egg that was going to help me keep afloat, I did realize that there should be some business component to that. But I didn't want to be one of those guys that builds websites remotely while they're working or while they're traveling, because I thought, well, that's just going to be work. It's going to take me away from the fun that I'm doing. Plus, with the way these trips work, I'm going to be in another country every other day. I'm constantly on the move. There's not really a way to do anything else other than potentially capture my trip and share it. And so I looked at what was out there. I looked at some online vlogs. I looked at what people are doing on YouTube. And I realized that there's a lot of great travel content out there. But there wasn't this kind of marathon mission that I was doing, which was going from one Kentucky to another over and over again. And anyone who's ever done a Kentucky, they probably would tell you that after the the week or two weeks or three weeks, depending on the length of the trip that they chose, they're pretty run down. And the thought of doing that for an entire year or 400 days in my case was something that I thought might be appealing to an audience in a way that any reality TV show is. And so if I could, especially also being older, being at 35, I was looking at it from the complete other end of the spectrum. So I wanted to to capture that. And I thought, if I share that, would there be an audience? Would people care? And seeing other travel vloggers out there who are doing uh, kind of randomly ad hoc travel and having an audience, I thought, there's got to be an audience for this. And so why not try to make some money and film it? I love that. Definitely your MBA mind looking for the, the, the gap analysis in the market and seeing how you can fit your dream into that. I love that. Yeah, it felt like a kind of a convergence of everything in my life. I, my IT background when it came to editing video, I actually have a minor in theater. So there's a bit of acting there. I have hmm. uh, the, the MBA brain. So thinking how to turn into a business. So really, it was kind of all my life had been leading up to that moment. And, and I think that's why I was able to actually pull the plug because it felt so right to do it. It was something that it was, it, it would have been betraying myself not to. Yeah, that's great. That was one of my questions. Your videos are so well done. Uh, and so I had questions about like, you know, were you, uh, were you good with video prior to this? Did you have to learn? And then how long for, you know, an eight minute or a 14 minute video, you know, how long did it take to put that together? Well, that's, that's actually quite funny. So I, I actually had never really done any video editing before this. So I had been filming the, the adventure. So uh, the first trip was 37 days. And so I had been filming that. And I had a, wow. a week-long break after that trip where I knew that I was going to be able to sit down and edit the first six or seven episodes. So I filmed it all. And then I sat down after that trip during my break. And I looked at the material I had. And I realized I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and and it kind of hit me at that moment that I I might have made a mistake, and but I, I it had already been published in the paper that I was doing this trip and I was going to be filming it. I had already been in contact with Kentucky, kind of telling him about my trip, and there's all this I guess pressure on me to kind of just do it. So I thought, well, yeah. I've got to just figure it out. So I I had um, 
I had video software. I, I mean, I preloaded video software and I, I, it wasn't like I was going completely blind, but I, I just sat down and just started working on it. And, and I, I really struggled at first because I was trying to do the first episode and I thought, I just don't know how to begin it. So I jumped a bit forward and I actually edited the third episode of my series first because I had the most content that made sense to me. And I kind of worked my way backwards, but there was kind of an aha moment where I realized, ah, this is what I'm doing. I, I know now what these tr- these episodes are going to be like. Uh, I know the length they're going to be, and I kind of now know the narrative. And I was able to work my way back and actually make some make something that actually people enjoyed, and people started tuning in every single week to see what I was going to get up to. And I would say it took a Probably at the start, it takes about an hour for every minute of footage. So, or sorry, not every minute of footage, every minute of an episode. So my episodes range between 8 to 12 minutes generally. So that means 8 to 12 hours. So some episodes are longer. I think my longest episode is 20 minutes. And that took me probably two to three days of editing. Um, But it usually was uh, one episode a day during my break. And I would pretty much just lock myself in my hotel room and I would treat it like a job. I would sit there on my desk and just pound out an episode, get some dinner, go to bed, wake up the next morning and then start the next episode. Wow. Uh, one hour per one minute that I, you know, and I've done things in my life where I committed to it, never done it and then had to get it done. Sometimes that's the only way I get new things, uh, uh learned and, and accomplished. I have a lot of respect for that. Um, did you have trouble editing those on the road and, and, you know, varying levels of connectivity? That, that was a challenge. I actually thought it would be worse than it was though. I got, I got quite lucky in that I planned very well in advance. So the first episode didn't go up until July 1st of last year. And I had a two month buffer. So that allowed me to not have to upload every week. I would actually seek out reviews of, of hotels based on their Wi-Fi quality. And so mm. I would look at, I would make sure before I booked any hotel, I would check, okay, what's the hotel Wi-Fi like? If it's got good reviews, then I'll go there and I might have three or four episodes already to upload. And then I would use that opportunity to upload the episode so that I would get five, six weeks of buffer. So um, if I was doing it on a weekly basis, it would have been impossible. But yeah, the, the Wi-Fi reviews was... Um, very useful for me. Now, you said earlier that you kind of took a trip and realized how much, man, you wish you had done this before. Uh, how many trips, you know, how much traveling did you do before this Odyssey? Uh, before the Odyssey, I had, so I'd started probably discovering my love of traveling in my late 20s. So I had about six years of traveling, which was doing a couple of trips. I had, I had done a lot of countries in Africa. I had done a, a little bit of Thailand and Malaysia and Singapore. And I had done probably 20 countries in Europe. So I, I had done a fair bit. Uh, and actually, most of them had been with Kentucky. Um, and every time I went on a trip, I thought, there's no way I can ever have a trip as good as this. And I come back home thinking that was the best trip of my life. And it was just constantly <laughs> thinking that. So I thought, well, you know, yeah. if I could just do a whole year of that, then it's going to be the best year of my life with these amazing experiences. And it certainly was. That's awesome. Now, uh, a lot of people when they travel, and, and I'm, I'm this way too, and the, the farther we travel from home, uh, you know, preconceptions get deconstructed. Uh, you know, maybe we learn stuff about ourselves. Did you, on this one, see, you already traveled before, but this was such an extended back-to-back 304-day uh, journey. Was there anything kind of profound that you discovered maybe about yourself or views or anything like that. Travel has a way to, to do that. Anything that, that kind of 
speaks to that? Yeah, I, I think the thing that I came away with after the trip was that I realize I'm in a very, a very patient person. And, and I, I think I always thought I was patient, but I mean, you're waiting in lines all the time. I was in airports quite often waiting for your flight. Uh, you're waiting for trains, you're waiting for buses, you're waiting for taxis. And then you're also dealing with people. You're at restaurants where the service level is completely different than it is back home. So you're mm-hmm. used to service being, you know, provided where I'm from is, is quite, quite quick. Uh, and I'm sure in the States, it's the same way. And you're, you're places like Italy where they might serve you 45 minutes after you've ordered. And, and so that stuff never bothered me. And I would see people around me frequently being bothered by those things. And I think it made me almost resolved to be as, as patient and understanding as possible. Hmm. And, and so I, I do think there's a level of that now where even back home, I don't mind waiting for things, things that are worth waiting for. I'm totally okay with that. And, and that's a weird thing I think to discover about myself, but I, that's the one thing I keep thinking back to is I'm, I'm a very patient person and, and, uh, and I don't know if I would have realized that or, or potentially even, um, have become that had it not been for this trip, because I, I was forced to become patient and, yeah. and now I embrace that. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Now, how did you find Kentucky? What was your, you know, how did you find Kentucky? What was that first Kentucky trip like? Oh, it was amazing. So I had done Kentuckys in the past. I had done, I think five Kentuckys previously spread out over that, that seven year period I mentioned. Um, and all those trips were really good and, and I had a great time doing them. And I had also done other companies as well. And, and I really enjoyed those as well. So it was, it was, for me, it was the age demographic that 18 to 35, that led me towards doing a year with Kentucky because that is a common question I get asked is, well, why Kentucky? And mm-hmm. I thought, well, it, there's no real reason other than I've had a great time doing them. And that demographic means I can get all those Kentuckys out of the way. And then when I when I think about phase two of my new business venture, I'd be dealing with other companies that would allow an older traveler to join them. But, oh, it was amazing. I mean, I, that first trip, that was a 37-day trip through uh, both Western East Europe and I wow. was uh, 35 years old, and the average age on that trip was probably 20. And that that's when it hit me that, oh, no, is this going to be what it's going to be like the whole year? And it, have I made a mistake? Because <laughs> um, it was a, it was at first very difficult. because I, I had never felt old before. And on that trip, I realized just how old I was. Yeah. And that was tough. So I think it started out a bit rocky. I also got sick early on in that trip. And I got I got the what they call the Kentucky cough, which is something that, you know, you're in close quarters with people. It's quite common. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of looked at my calendar and I thought this is going to be a rough year. Um, I did have a backup plan, which was uh, the trips I was only paying for 45 days in advance. So I could just say, you know what, I'll do the next trip, but I'm not doing any trips after that. I'm going to go home. Uh, but it, it would probably I would say day six or seven. It was in the past. I, I stopped thinking about my age and they stopped making jokes about it for the most part. And <laughs> and I had a, I had such an amazing time that the moment that trip ended, I, I could have started the next trip the next day. I mean, I, I was just so pumped and had such a great time. And that I would say that uh, that lasted the entire 300 days I was on the road because I loved every single minute of it. That's fantastic. Now, uh, what was the favorite? What was your favorite trip? Uh, your favorite destination? There's so many great places I went. I think it's it's tough to narrow it down because I had great experiences. So, but I I, I think in my head the Scandinavia and Russia trip that I did was the most variety of a trip, 
and the most fun that I had consistently. And that was a three-week trip that goes from Copenhagen to Oslo to Stockholm to Helsinki and then to St. Petersburg, Moscow, Minsk, and finishes in Warsaw. So you see quite a lot of variety there. And the the country of Norway is just absolutely stunning. And that's something that I'll never forget is just seeing the waterfalls and the hills and the mountains. It's just so picturesque and peaceful. And it yeah, it, it blew my mind how much I loved that. But I also, uh, one of my, my final trips was the Andean crossing trip, which is a South America trip that goes from Peru down into Bolivia, Chile, and finishes in Santiago. And that was another great trip. Because, I mean, the salt flats in Bolivia are unlike anything I've ever seen in my entire life, just otherworldly. I mean, we had the, we were there at the time of the year where you get the reflections off the, the salt flats. I saw that in the video. It was stunning. Oh, it's it's absolutely beautiful. And I would say that that ranks up there, too. So some people thought, oh, did you get bored of the trips near the end? And I thought, no. I mean, when I look at my trips, I had great trips at the beginning, great trips at the end. And and the two of the pillars of my favorite trips happened to be on polar opposites of my adventure. Well, and you, you know, you have to I guess you have to experience significant travel to understand that it's very I would I would think it's very hard to get bored. The world is so different. Uh, and there's so many it things is. to to explore. I, I've only watched a few of your videos and they they were phenomenal. Uh, and the places that you were at were amazing. And the salt flats were I kept looking at that going, he's got to have Photoshop that. Um, and I know yeah, I know you didn't. They were they were beautiful. And the, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was it was fantastic. I love that. Uh, yeah. Is there a country that you haven't been to that you're once? things change that you you really want to get to new zealand has been on my list for a long long time and i came across many people who've done multiple contikis and a lot of them said that their new zealand contiki was their favorite trip as long as they had done that so i feel like of all the trips i did it wasn't um it wasn't going to be part of my adventure it just time wise it wasn't going to work out but I have I have regrets that I never did New Zealand, and I think I would see a lot of what I saw in Norway, and and I think that's you know what I love it. I love nature for one thing. I think a lot of these trips, there's a lot of variety to it. But the thing that made me the most um, happy, I suppose, or, or or gave me the greatest pleasure, was just seeing the the natural beauty in the world. And there's so much of that in Norway. There's so much of that in the salt flats, and I expect there to be a lot of that in New Zealand. That's awesome. That is uh, on my children's list of where they want us Good to choice. take them next. Uh, we haven't booked that. And, you know, this year has been crazy. And, you know, your trip is canceled. We had uh, we had a trip uh, booked for Costa Rica, and then we're planning one for Israel. And uh, both of those are, are up in the air. So, you know, for anyone listening, we're recording this in June of 2020 uh, in the uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and on a day where we've got a lot of news of things kind of spiking uh, in a lot of areas. So, you know, Corey, this obviously, uh, you know, it's it stopped your trip. Um, wh- how else did that change things? And, and how have you pivoted your uh, your YouTube channel and your vlogs to kind of deal with it? Yeah, everything came to a complete halt pretty quick. Uh, it was something that I would actually still be on the road right now traveling. Um I would probably, I, my plan was to actually finish not on a Contiki, but to do the Camino de Santiago in Spain and and just have this, it's a 35 day hike where you hike from one end of France to the end of Spain. 
And wow. I thought it would be a great way to kind of reflect uh, on the entire experience and see how I changed what I learned about myself during that year. Um, but obviously all that kind of went away when, when COVID became so rampant that the trip I was on, I was in Columbia at the time, uh, they came and said the trip is canceled and I boarded a flight that night and got out of there as quickly as possible to avoid wow. any kind of border closures and being stuck in a country. So I, I was faced with a lot of questions. I thought, well, how do I, how do I wrap this up? I have a lot of uh, fans who have been following me and they, they want to see a conclusion to my story in the way that I intended it. And, uh, and I didn't get to do it the way I wanted to, but I did pivot in that I took everything I had filmed over the year. And obviously with the amount of, of content that I had making only eight to 12 minute episodes every week, there was a lot of stuff that was on the cutting room floor. So I sat down and I started working on new content. So rather than show my adventures while I'm traveling, why not talk about the countries in more depth? Why not look at the trips in a different way? Uh, top 10 lists and, you know, what were the best trips I did? What were the best foods I had? What were my favorite countries on my journey? And so I've got a wealth of content um, filmed that I might as well repurpose that so that I can continue this travel adventure uh, but in a different way than I originally envisioned. Yeah, it's a really nice pivot. And and I would assume you have maybe thousands of hours of footage uh, to go through to continue making those videos. Oh, yeah, I, I have. Um, I've already I had brought a four terabyte hard drive with me uh, on the trip and I actually filled that up. Uh, so wow. I've got Holy a cow. lot of footage to go through. And um, and a lot of it is is great um I, I think it's great so i've got stuff that's never been seen before that i i never had a chance to put into an episode so it's really finding a way to repurpose all of that but i do have a, a massive library that i i'm very grateful that i have now when you you're looking at what's happening going forward um you know what are you looking at to plan? Like what, what do you have a, any sort of indicator that says, okay, now is the time to pick this back up and I'm going to do the, you know, remaining, uh, uh, was 96 days. Uh, are there things that you're watching for and looking at? I mean, the news is obviously the biggest thing because I think right now, you, like you mentioned the spike earlier, things might reopen, but that doesn't mean they're going to stay open. And so it's difficult to really plan around that. And I look at places like New Zealand who have reopened, but only to really New Zealanders. And a lot of countries are doing that where they're reopening uh, a lot of the businesses and the tourist attractions, but exclusively to travelers that live there. So planning, I guess, exotic or foreign travel is quite difficult right now. Um, but the only thing I can do is check every day to see you know, what's the latest news going on. But where I am focusing is thinking about how I can travel here in Canada, because mm. the country is a massive country. And like most people, I haven't seen a lot of my own country. I've seen parts of it, but there's so much things that have never been seen by me and, and places that are only a couple of hours away that I could just hop in a car right now and go visit. So I think pivoting to to more accessible travel destinations especially because my audience doesn't care where i am they don't they don't need to know oh well you know he's in canada so this is boring content if i can find a way to make canadian travel interesting to people because it's 
it's and and also advertise you know this beautiful country to people who want to come to my country because I think it's a country that um, I'm very lucky to be living in and I would love to share it with the world. So it's really again the, the same mentality I had when I was in Vancouver and, and I didn't like the job and I thought, well, how can I turn this negative into a positive? That's where my brain is now. Is how can I turn me being stuck in Canada into something that is a is a, a value add for what I'm trying to do. Definitely. And we see a lot of travel companies kind of doing the same focusing domestically, especially with the news of European travel closed to at least the U.S., uh, you know, just south of you. Um, that changes, uh, you know, things generally. So when you, what, you know, do you tap into your, uh, what you called your MBA mind when you're looking at your next, uh, this, this more domestic exploration um, are you looking at from a business perspective? Um, well, I can monetize it this way or that way. And so why don't we do and go here? Um, or are you going to just pick things you've not experienced within Canada and then see how you can work in monetization? I, I think it's, it's a little bit of both. So it's really thinking, where haven't I been? Is there, is there something there that is really unique that stands out? And that is worth filming and showing. But if there is, how can I monetize that? Because obviously, if I'm looking at the history, most of what I did was linked to Kentucky. And mm -hmm. if Kentucky isn't doing travels in Canada, then how do I monetize that for myself? And that's a question that I, I am stuck with right now. Uh, the hope is that Kentucky will open up trips within Canada and potentially there'd be some new trips there that I could do at home. And uh, even though now I'm older than the demographic, you know, fingers crossed that they, they let me finish the journey the way that I intended the days <laughs> at least, but maybe in my own country. Um, but the, I, I've also looked at stuff like uh, I've got a, a decent camera that I filmed my adventures on and, and partnering with technology brands that want me to, mm -hmm. to showcase the technology that I'm using and uh, the laptop that I'm bringing along with me or the clothing that I'm wearing, especially here in Canada. You know, if I went up north, it's a bit cooler. So, you know, maybe there's Canada Goose wants to sponsor me. So looking at different brands that would not necessarily be selling the trip, but showing um, the country in a way that would allow me to continue forward and potentially even working with with a small city that wants to to bring people back travel wise. And, and maybe they would say, hey, we want to reach out to you and, and we want to work with you and have you showcase the city in the same way that you showcased uh, all the other cities around the world. Well, that is such a great idea. I didn't even think about that. Um, I love that idea. That's fantastic. I, I, I wish you the the you know best. Feel of free to steal it too, because I'm I'm not the first one to ever think of it. So, <laughs> well, it's a great idea, and you know, one of the things that um, I'm really uh, hopeful uh, and not surprised, but it's really neat to see is how people are pivoting. Uh, and you know, we're working under new constraints right now that sometimes they seem to change, you know, week to week, day to day. Uh, and how do we, uh, you know, how do we continue to thrive in, the, in that area? So are you looking to, well, let me ask you this question first. When, uh, when you're thinking about like a company like, uh, uh, was it Canadian Goose, Canada Goose? Canada Goose, yes. Canada Goose. How uh, how are you approaching them? Are you approaching through the affiliate channel? Are you you know I, you may not have approached them yet, but have you uh, have you done that yet outside of Kentucky? Um, you know what how, what's your plan to uh, engage and start those conversations? I haven't reached out to Canada Goose specifically. There there have been some brands that I have reached out to in the past, and unfortunately. 
I didn't hear back for the most part. Uh, hmm. Contiki was the very first brand I reached out to before I even had a following of any kind. And they actually were completely on board. I mean, obviously, I was going to be doing a bunch of trips with them. So I suppose that plays into it. But um, I think hmm. part of the challenge is, of course, I was starting with nothing. And I had this momentum going into the trip. And so I was really looking forward to to reaching out to advertisers once I had reached that established audience that I think that they're looking for. And then saying, okay, now I'm established. Is there anything that you guys can do that I can, um, you know, promote? And that all kind of went away. So I'm kind of working behind the eight ball now in that my audience numbers are still increasing, but not at the rate that they were prior to COVID because people just aren't researching trips right now. So yeah, it's yeah. trying to convince people and, and it is reaching. It's checking to see what companies are currently available through the affiliate program. And if they're not available through the affiliate program, is there a contact that I have outside of that? Is there someone that I could find on LinkedIn who's their marketing manager and maybe send them a message and say, hey, uh, you don't know who I am, but this is what I'm doing. If you want to check out my videos and see uh, if there's a, a collaboration there that you want to work with me. Um, so it's really finding all kinds of avenues. But uh, I, I would say personally for me, something like a LinkedIn where you, you find someone with that job title in that area is my my go-to. Unfortunately, like I said in the past, no one seemed to be want, wanting to work with me uh, other than Contiki. Now, what would make, from an advertiser's perspective, what would make it easier for you to get a hold of them and, and have those conversations, you think, from your perspective? Well, I mean, I think typically, not always, but oftentimes the advertiser will reach out to the brands that they want to work with. And that, and that makes perfect sense. Um, they don't generally make it very easy for you to contact their social media team. So if you often go to like the contact page, you've got, you know, the HR contact usually because there's careers posted, but there's not usually a, a social media contact when you go to a company page. And I think making it easier to contact that person who would be working with you and evaluating whether or not that they want to work with you would make a world of difference. Because at least then you don't feel like you're just, you know, throwing a dart into the dark because at least you have um, some kind of idea that the person you're reaching out to would have an answer one way or the other. And, and I think my problem is not always knowing who to reach out to. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think they, a lot of times, will hide those you know, intentionally to not get overwhelmed. And I can see that too. Uh, I totally understand. So we, you know, we talked about you know, how to make it more uh, easy to contact them. Uh, are there anything, like if, if you, do you have a wish list of the perfect relationship with an advertiser uh, that if they're listening, you know, that'll give them some things to really think about? Because when, when we're talking with uh, prospects and, and our current client set, um, content publishers that are generating uh, the kind of content like you are is very uh, defined, very niche, um, is exactly what almost every single affiliate program we manage, uh, that's what they're looking for. So what are you looking for to make it easy to work with them? It's a great question. Um, I think, I, I mean, not to use too many buzzwords, but I mean, transparency is obviously a big one. And I think being able to to contact them in a way that they kind of give you the list of expectations up front. Um, I also would like to make sure that my audience knows from a transparent point of view that the companies that I'm working with, I'm working with them. I don't want people to, to, to necessarily uh, think I'm trying to sell something if I'm not, 
if I am trying to sell something, I want to make it very clear that, yes, this is the company that I'm working with because I'm grateful for that partnership. And I think for my own audience, it helps add some legitimacy to what I'm doing. So I'm there are companies out there who will try to get you to sell things um, in, a, in a much more, I guess, less obvious way. And there's necessarily, not necessarily anything wrong with that, but those are the brands that I'm looking for. Um, there's clothing brands that I think for what I'm doing is perfect because there's a lot of companies that do travel. And obviously for this last year, I was working with Kentiki, but one of the things you need the entire trip is wearing clothing. And uh, I wore quite a lot of Lululemon, which is a Canadian brand on my travels. Mm. Uh, I, I bought everything. I did reach out to Lululemon, but I never heard back. Uh, but I had uh, a lot of clothing and, and being able to have some kind of sponsorship there where I'm promoting the clothes that they're, um, that they're selling, especially for travel, because as far as I'm concerned, they make some of the best travel clothing out there because it's antimicrobial, it's synthetic, and it wears really well. You can wear it every day and, you know, wash it very quickly. It dries quick. I feel like I'm selling it right now on this podcast, even though I'm not, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, it's stuff like that, that, um, I guess outfitting me for my trip because there's so many different things that you use while you're traveling. Another thing that I think would be a great partnership is something like the backpacks because the backpack that I traveled the entire world with was able to fit my laptop. It fit my camera. I took it for the entire trip. I also used it previous to that uh, for business trips. So it doesn't have to be travel related. Um, a lot of these partnerships, they can be useful for people in every day, especially right now with COVID where people aren't going to be purchasing things for travel. Yeah, definitely. And, and looking forward, um, are you, you, you had 304 days of your dream, you know, the dream, um, are you, as things open up, are you going to go, you know, you're going to continue in the travel vlogging space? Um, are you, are, you know, are you going to go back into it work or is the long-term vision to continue to travel the world, whether that's, uh, Canada for the foreseeable future and then branch out as things, uh, things calm down. Uh, what, what are you, what's your, your plan? It's, uh, it's in flux. So I think <laughs> there's the MBA like so many things right now, oh, right? exactly. I mean, I'm not alone in this. Um, there's the MBA brain of mine that's still like, no, no, let's, let's be an entrepreneur. Let's do these amazing things and, and be your own boss and, and all that. But then there's also the practical part of me that that says, okay, well, you're you're running on fumes now when it comes to your funds. You've pretty much exhausted everything. You have to start working in a in a much more practical way. So I would say probably a hybrid where maybe not do 400 straight days of traveling, but find a job that's a bit more flexible that lets me get away for a week or two weeks at a time every few months to be able to film some content, put it on my channel. And then also continue to reuse some of that footage in in new ways once I find out what my audience is looking for. Um, but also, it's tough because I'm I'm a fairly loyal person, and I don't want to go to a company with the expectation that I'm gonna I'm gonna go work for you, but I'm probably gonna quit eventually if this takes off. It's really, can I find a job that does allow me to have that freedom where I can do both things and still fulfill my obligations on both ends of the spectrum? But it's difficult yeah. right now because I mean, obviously the market's very difficult to find a job. So part, part of the problem is I can't find work at the moment. So why not continue investing my energy into travel until such time that I find a job? So it's, it's right now allowing me to continue focusing on the, the travel aspect. But once I did find something more solid, I'm guessing I would have to kind of uh, pick and choose where I'm going to devote my attention. And 
uh, the travel would probably be on the, the back burner until it started uh, gaining more momentum as time went on. Yeah, you know, and it's definitely a unique situation. Uh, I'm 45 years old, and I've been through several recessions and, uh, you know, difficult economic times and and uh, 9-11 and things like that. But this definitely hits differently. Um, and it's a really unique uh, aspect of uh, that it hits travel so uh, so greatly. Um, I've never seen anything really like this. So, you know, everyone I think is right there with you on, on it's in, it's in flux. Yeah. I looked, uh, just a few weeks ago, I looked at Q2, uh, goals for, uh, my company and, uh, just kind of giggled and it's like, oh, that was really cute. We were so optimistic <laughs> the then. Yeah. We were so optimistic. It was, it was the year of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That did not happen. Well, Corey, I appreciate this. I do have one more question. Earlier, you said how you select, um, uh, partners uh, to go through to work with and if they are in the affiliate program. So when you're looking for um, advertisers that have an affiliate program, are you going to one network? Are you looking at that brand specifically to see if they have it on their site? Or how are you determining if they're in the affiliate program? Uh, So the affiliates that I like with CJ affiliates, I've been going to, they have a list of advertisers and you type in uh, what category you're looking for. And then it shows you a list of companies that are offering uh, services related to that product. So if I were to go in there and type in clothing, it'll show me all of the clothing brands that are associated with CJ Affiliates. And then I could determine whether or not that's a brand that uh, I want to work with. Um, And and for me, it's always been very important going back to that transparency thing is that the brands I work with, I want to be brands that I truly support. And I think that I think that's probably true for for most people, you don't want to work with a brand that you, um, A, don't know anything about, which isn't necessarily you know, bad because companies that don't know anything about doesn't mean I won't love their product if they already reach out to me and I'm like, I love this product. But I do want to work with brands that I stand behind. And so I've been approaching companies that I personally use and that um, I personally have a very high opinion of. And so I'll do a quick search. And if they're not in CJ Affiliates, I'll go to the company website and see if I can find some kind of contact. Uh, information for their social media brand. And again, usually can't find that. So then I'll go to LinkedIn, look up the anyone with a job description at that company that seems somewhat related and uh, and go from there. But so there, there's, I guess, a multi-prong approach. And then there's also gotcha. other companies that you can apply for other affiliate programs. Um, one, of the, one of the problems that I had was that most of this I was figuring out while I was on the road. So mm. being in a hotel room with spotty Wi-Fi at times, trying to figure out who I could partner with, it became more difficult. And, and by the time I had free time, such as now, there was kind of that, um, I guess, not the, not the depression, but there was the, the realization that my trip was over and really thinking about the future. Did, was there any brands I even wanted to work with at this point? Um, but I would say in the last few months, or not the last few months, the last few weeks, seeing other people really excited about travel and me yearning for that other big adventure, I have started seriously thinking about uh, the brands I could work with going forward. So I am taking it more seriously now than I was in March where it felt like the world was coming to an end. Yeah. Wow. And so from an affiliate perspective, do you have any sort of advice uh, for advertisers uh, from what you're seeing on what they should be doing right now? Uh, I mean, I think one of the things to do is, is to not, I mean, I, I, I know everyone's got their targets, but 2020 is a write-off. Uh, focus on 2021. Promote trips in 2021. Or, or if you're focusing on trips in 2020, 
focus on trips internally in your own countries. Uh, that's easier said than done, I realize, because of the way everything is changing. But it's it is tough. It's really hard to say. Well, you know, don't sell things the way you've been selling them. But I know from my own personal point of view, the people I've talked to, everyone's excited about traveling coming back. And it's not like um, I would say in, in the past where if you know if something happened with an airline, everyone swore off airline travel for a long time. I yeah. find, at least within my social circle, that everyone that used to travel, they cannot wait to travel again. And the moment those borders open up, you know, coronavirus be damned, they're going to cross those borders and they're going to go travel. Uh, so I'm not too worried about travel bouncing back. I don't know when that will be, but I think focusing efforts and advertising efforts on on future travel, 2021 trips, or focusing on domestic travel for 2020 is is the right approach. That's awesome. You know, and I'm seeing the same thing in our social circles, uh, in whichever part of the divide on COVID you tend to stand on this, the, the thing that seems to be in common is there is a huge pent up demand to get out of your house and travel somewhere, uh, when it becomes feasible. Uh, and, and I kind of think once that happens, uh, we may see the largest kind of bounce back in, in an industry that maybe we've ever seen. Oh, yeah. I mean, I look at the haircutting industry. It's difficult to get an appointment right now. And and it's yeah. kind of the same thing. It's for some people, you know, a haircut's a necessity and, and some might not think travel is. But for those of us like us who love travel so much, it is a necessity. It's an, It's an escape. And so everyone's also probably banking their vacation time right now. So there is going to be yeah. this this huge influx of travelers the moment that it's allowed. And so uh, as long as companies can weather the storm right now, I am fully confident that uh, that things will look very, very good in the years to come. Corey, that's awesome. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and, and getting to know you and your videos are amazing. It, it, and like I said, right now, I'm, I'm really excited to watch them, but it also, it's like, I just want to go, <laughs> but they're really well done. You, oh, you, you. make it look so uh, so inviting to go to some places I, I really never considered. I, I watched your Vietnam episode today and and so now I have two uh, two individuals that uh, have taken that uh, uh, have gone to Vietnam uh, and have just loved it. Uh, and so I'm really excited to, to, to branch out. Now if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you, say they're an advertiser or a brand, uh, that is interested in working with you, or they love to travel and they uh, and they want to see what content you're putting out. What's the best way that they can uh, they can contact you and and watch these videos? Yeah, sure. So uh, the videos right now are posted on YouTube. So if you search for Kentiki Odyssey, which is C O N T I K I O D Y S S E Y, that's Odyssey. The Kentucky Odyssey, that's the trip brand and that all the videos are on YouTube. Uh, one of the actual ways that I'm pivoting right now is I'm also beginning to start posting my videos on Instagram and Facebook uh, mm. because I feel like this is a great opportunity to reach a wider audience. But uh, for right now, they're, they're primarily on YouTube. And if you go to the about page on my YouTube channel, uh, you'll see a, a contact email for me, which is just Corey.Vanderland at gmail.com. But that's that's available through that uh that about section as well. And I would love to hear from anyone that wants to, to check out my videos or, or, you know, just wants to, to reminisce about a past Kentucky or a past adventure that they had, because I, I love talking with travelers and, and sharing our stories. Outstanding. Well, Corey, thank you so much. I'll include uh, some of these links 
uh, in the show notes for our listeners. Um, again, really appreciated uh, you know spending an hour with you today. Thank you for taking the time. And you really shared a lot of good things that uh, I think advertisers will really benefit from. You know how how you go about finding brands. I think is going to be enlightening to a lot of them. Uh, here we have a content. Uh, creator, a niche affiliate that is the holy grail of what um, so many affiliate programs are looking for, uh, talking about you know how to work with them specifically. So really uh, thankful uh, and grateful for your time today. Uh, and I'll list all that stuff in the show notes. And But thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a, a great conversation and uh, I loved every minute of it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that discussion about all things affiliate marketing. And remember, if you're looking for strategies to survive and thrive right now uh, and during any turbulent times, we want to direct you to jebcommerce.com strategies. There you'll be able to download a 19-step guide on strategies and tactics to help you uh, get through what's going on right now as well as thriving, and you can. So download that guide. We actually threw in a bonus tip. Uh, that is from Link Connector as bonus number 20. So please check out that guide at jebcommerce.com strategies. And remember, if you need any help with your affiliate program, contact us at gethelp at jebcommerce.com and we would love to sit down with you and help you run a profitable affiliate program.